Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So as an LGBTQ person, we cannot wait to get out, out, out. Well, maybe we can, but either way, once we get out, then we're either going after Prince Charming or Princess Charming or whoever it is that you're trying to get in the sack with or have a life with and all that good stuff. And then one day it all goes to hell in a handbasket. And then you wonder, who the hell am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? And you start hating on yourself and you're not loving on yourself. Well, that's what we're talking about today. So don't go running away, people, because this isn't the depressing show. This is a really cool show because we're going to be talking about all these interesting things we discover about ourselves. And today's guest has taken all those interesting things. And he is a Grammy-nominated songwriter. He has a brand new EP out called Nightmare. And we want to talk about this beautiful music that he's uncovered as he's gone through. Well, pretty much I just described what he went through. But we're going to see how he's taken that, turn it into some beautiful music and the lessons that he's learned. His name is J.R. Price, and I am so Hello. excited to have you. So oh glad gosh, to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank of course, you. Well, Thank you I haven't actually, I didn't actually have you. Let's not mislead people where this is a clean show. I'm <laughs> clean show. It's not a clean show. We have fun on this show, too. So, um, so you're a New York boy. Yay. I am a New York boy. Awesome, That's man. Me. That's very cool. Love New York. I haven't been there in a while, waiting to come back. But um, so you're just a music guy. I am a music guy. I've been writing songs since I was six years old and haven't stopped since. I've written wow. a song every day of my life since I was 13. And before that, about like 12 songs a year. So, of course, he, he's only yeah. 14, folks. So it's really not that big of a It's really not that many songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. That's what a great thing. You know, all these people do stuff that like, well, I've done this and I've done that. I'm like, but I love it when there's some intentionality behind what we do. Um, I wish I could say I did for, uh, there was a while there that I wrote a blog post every day for, I don't know, a couple of solid years. And finally, I'm just like, uh, Poppy's tired. <laughs> My head is hurting for and trying to do this. And now you have a podcast. Uh, yeah, now I have and a podcast. Have- I love it. Yeah. That's so, all you, you need. Know. Yeah, no, you know, I find I, I'll find every way to whore myself out that I can. You know, if you don't want to read my blog, then come listen to my podcast. If you want to listen to my podcast and make, watch me make a fool of myself on Instagram videos and TikTok, you know, I'm all good about just being as a big long as people out. are caring about your opinion. Yeah, well, yeah, as long as they, and if they don't, that's okay too, because somebody will listen to me. I mean, I, I may have to pay them a hundred bucks, but they'll still listen to me. So, um, but <laughs> oh let's kind of dive in here, man, because I know. As somebody who produces content myself, sometimes it's the stuff that's going on in your own world that really, truly, well, it just comes full circle. And then the next thing you know, it's part of your creative process and bada bing, bada boom, which I don't want to diminish that writing songs and making music is a bada bing, bada boom. But <laughs> this is really, this is really where Nightmare came out of, right? It was like a really big, big piece of personal stuff going on in your life. Yeah. Um, 
I went through a lot. I mean, everybody did, right? The pandemic happened, and the no, whole world uh, you were the only you were the only one who went I through a feel, pandemic, I'm, and I was the only one who was affected. <laughs> right, and um, I lost my apartment in New York City. I had to go back home to Kentucky um, and face some family issues and some family drama that you know, wasn't resided. And I um, got kicked out of my family's house too. And then I stayed with friends and kept getting kicked out. And then I met a boy as we as all do. As we all do. And, <laughs> oh my God. And I felt like everything was happening. You know, I felt right. the stars aligned, time right. stopped, you know, it, straight out of the movie. And then it was all a lie. And you know, he was going through some stuff too, and he kind of just like used me and ripped me apart and mm. destroyed me. And the only thing I really could do, because the only thing I've ever done when I'm faced with trauma or drama, is to write songs and to put it into my music and tell the truth. You know, somebody great once said, um, All you need to make great music is three chords and the truth. And I live by that motto. Ooh, Everything I, like I write that. is true. Yeah, it's a really good quote. I'm not exactly sure what famous person said it, but if you Google it, I'm sure that Google will tell I'm you. I'm sure I um, can find that, but I love that because yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that it's it's so simple, you know. And we yeah. humans love to fuck everything up. We like to get in our heads and screw everything up. And I'm not diminishing what the boy did to you, but it's so interesting when we just step back and go, okay, but wait how can I start to make this simpler, you know? And yeah. it sounds like your music and getting back into writing a song and bringing that to yeah, life. Definitely. I think that whenever I make songs about my pain and what I'm going mm. through, um, not only does it give the problem structure, right? Cause I can read out every detail of what happened in the song. Mm -hmm. um, but also it gives it some sort of meaning because this could help people that are going through the same problem. And, you know, there's a reason I'm going through this. Whereas mm. opposed to other coping mechanisms, I don't feel like there is any purpose, but the way I cope, it actually helps these other people. Like whenever I'm performing at my album release party, for instance, after my show, um, this lovely human being came up to me and cried in my arms for 30 minutes about how the final song on my EP, I have me move them so much because wow. they just moved to New York with only a thousand dollars in their pocket. And they were like, the only thing I have is me and your song just hit a chord and like was sobbing and being so proud of themselves and creating so much beauty in the room that, you know, came from my music. And I can't believe that things like that get to happen to me. And it really makes everything worth it. Worth it is what I would say. Mm -hmm. Because the pain creates so much beauty in the world. Mm. It's interesting that you said that pain creates so much beauty in the world. I was doing another podcast. And it's interesting when these are happening. Because just, just going to say stuff comes out of your mouth. They're like, I don't know where that came from. And... <laughs> I said, in the pain is where the power lies. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know why I said that. I don't know where it came from. And then afterwards, I, I had written it down because my guest said, oh, that's really powerful. So usually when a guest says something's really powerful, I'm like, oh, maybe I should <laughs> write that down because I'm, I'm, I'm an older guy. So I got to remember these things. <laughs> I remember this shit is to write it down. But, uh, but it is interesting that how we 
avoid pain, but yet sometimes you got to step into that pain to really grow through it and see, yeah, see other people for what they are, number one, and see ourselves for how we show up in that, you know. And it's amazing how much much you grow. Yeah, Yeah. it's amazing how much you grow from these experiences because they really Mm kind of shake you up and they break you down and they make you look at your priorities Mm -hmm. and what's important to you. And I think that without what I've been through the last two years, I mean, who I was in my daydream era, my first album is called daydream. Um, I was this bubbly optimistic person who believed in happy endings and dreams. And oh, just, just say it. You were Mary Poppins. Let's just go I, there. Right. I literally was Julie Andrews with an umbrella flying around in the wind. Yes. Well, that I'd love uh, to see. Like, you know, I've always wanted to fly around an umbrella, you know, I'm like, Let's just yeah, go little, find an umbrella for a change, you know? Of course, little of course it'd get about 30 feet off the ground. I'd be flipping the fuck out because I'm like, I have this like, I'm not afraid of heights <laughs> per se, but because but if I you're have, holding yourself up with an umbrella, yeah, yeah I'd be pretty yeah, afraid of heights. You know, yeah. and so I, I have that. It's not, I can't even think of the term, not dyslexia. That's the reading thing. But I have the height thing that happens every once in a while where it's like <gasps> a vertigo. So yeah, and it doesn't happen all the time. Now it would happen if I was in your neck of the woods standing on the Empire State Building. I'm like, oh fuck no. Uh-uh. <laughs> that will not happen because I know as soon as I get up there, that thing's gonna tilt. It's the whole thing is tilting. Nobody else is tilting. I I in the building will tilt because that's what it will feel like <laughs> to me. So uh, yeah, no, I feel that. I used to I, be like that, but then I moved here and I don't know, it kind of goes away. Yeah, but I love that you're you're finding this place that you know, even in the darkness where we don't believe anything can actually happen and okay let's just admit it we're both gay men we come out of the Mm -hmm. closet we are who we are but i remember that journey man it was so dark and i Mm -hmm. believed nope it's only happened to me now you more recently it sounds like you've gone through some darkness with the family too like okay out of the house you go yeah bye well um it wasn't as abrupt like this cutting off um cutting out of their lives was more of a like they won't even speak to me anymore mm-hmm. i'd already been like kicked out of the house and told to grow up and you know do my own thing um but yeah during the pandemic a lot of things like came to light about what they thought about me and my choices and beyond even my sexuality i mean you know yes uh they don't approve of my homosexuality and being gay really bamboozles them and they don't oh, know how to I process didn't, I didn't it. know you were gay. I'm sorry. I can't be talking to you. I'm kidding. Oh, course, but... Yes. I'm very much a gay man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my family, you know, they don't really know. They're not cognizant of what that even means. You know, mm. they don't even, they don't even perceive it to be an option because, you know, it's not a choice. So, I don't think that people who aren't gay are going to be able to understand what being gay is because they don't have any of those tendencies. Just like yes. I'm never going to understand what it's like to be straight, you know? Right. But that's the thing is they don't get what it means to be gay because, well, I don't have that tendency. I'm like, oh, I understand that because I don't have that tendency to be straight either. So I can understand you. Why can't you understand me? And every because time I've ever done that with somebody. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But when I do that to people, sometimes they like, uh, I don't, I know they (laughs) they just can't even fathom. They don't know what to say because (laughs) it's like, really? I didn't choose to be 
great either. So yeah, no, like when I was 15 and I came out, like that was literally my question back. Like dad was like so confused and like yelling at me. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, are you telling me that you are secretly fighting this urge to have sex with men? Because that's the only way your argument makes sense to me hmm. is if you are choosing to be straight. And I just don't know if everybody right. actually gay Right. and lying about it like just tell the truth like, right. but stop but yelling see, at but, me <laughs> but, but that's the thing jr is when you back people into a corner like that they have no argument then because that's yeah. like that they can't compute so then what they've been trying to compute is going against what they're trying to say you are and suddenly you know all the inner workings start to explode so period and then they just hate you for they do. really challenging their worldview is right. really why they hate well us. and for those that are listening that ha are either going through this currently or have yet been through or even those who have it's so interesting when you challenge somebody's worldview because what it is is you're challenging their comfort with you period this is yeah. how i see you this is who you're good to be for me in my world and as soon as that doesn't fit for them, that's when the pushback starts to come. And it's an interesting journey. And it's not just in, in our sexuality. I mean, it, it's no, so it's fascinating not. when you see it in other things. Like, I'm sure there's people who could say, well, JR, why can't you just go get a real job and just do what you do instead of trying to pursue this, be a music songwriter? It's the same stuff. People no, don't exactly. get it. And that was what my family's final, like, straw was is when this pandemic happened and where i'm a struggling artist you know in new york city i didn't really have the funds to handle it and feel like i needed help and because i'm an adult who needed help suddenly like every decision i've ever been i've ever made was scrutinized mm. um because i can't support myself by being an artist and I was like, but the whole world shut down and nobody can support themselves right now. But it's only because I'm an artist. If I had a right. real job and it failed, they wouldn't have minded to like help me. Right. Right. It was only because I've been an artist the whole time. And I don't understand really because I thought that art was revered growing up, you know, and that's why I dived into it, you know, because I thought it was the special thing. Wow. And I thought it it's is important. revered if it's straight art it's revered but anything yeah. to do with homosexual art or gay lgbtq plus art no i know and it's just crazy to me because like i don't even make music that's that risque in comparison right. to the gay niche you know i yeah. mean we have wap on the radio now and right. i'm making you know music about like just wanting to find somebody who loves me and find a boyfriend and, you know, and like, it's so scandalous. And I'm like, right. they're literally saying genital parts on the radio, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's okay because they're talking about straight genital parts, not gay right. genital parts. So. Exactly. Let's, exactly. Let's call, and that art let's call is, it what it is. Exactly. It's so crazy. It is crazy. So through this, you did the thing with the family, but really yeah. the, the breakup thing happened. Well, the breakup thing happened, like, was kind of, I think, the straw on the camel's back, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I kept losing people, and I kept losing people. And then I found somebody who, you know, made a lot of promises to me that, you know, we were going to be together, that, you know, he was my family now, mm -hmm. that I mattered mm -hmm. to him, and then he just ripped it all away because it was really just 
a facade. It was all mm-hmm. a lie. And I didn't know how to process that because I grew up my whole life with my family being so horrible and like bullies being horrible, but nobody in my like actual community as a gay bear had ever hurt me. So I always felt safe in my community. And I think when he ripped all of that away and then turned everyone against me, I think it, it really utterly crushed my soul. And then my theater professor, um, Russell Henderson, who was my first father figure who believed in me, um, I found out that he passed away in November of last year. And that was so much grief because it happened like weeks after the breakup. And so I was just so overcome with all of this loss. And the only thing I could do, um, I was talking to my therapist, um, was grief. And so it really got me thinking about the five stages of grief and how hard it is to overcome all of it. And it prompted the theme for the whole album Mm -hmm. um, in honor of Russell, because he's the greatest man I've ever known. He taught me pretty much everything I know about being on stage. And I um, accredited a lot of my career to him. So I wanted to honor him. And the five stages of grief made sense to me because I was grieving so much. But the only thing that was really breaking me was the fact that like the one place where I felt safe was ripped away too, Mm. you know? And I thought that I found, you know, my person because we connected on so many levels, including being in this music world in this niche, you know, it's really hard to find somebody who understands not only that I'm an artist, but that I wanted to be, you know, a bear pop star. That's a very specific brand. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find people who understand that world. And I, well, I it's like very I hard to find. Person. It's very hard to find people within our own community. No matter what community. That, exactly. Right. If I was like a bowling league champion. I'm right. sure I would want somebody who understands right. bowling. But even in the LGBTQ community, I've seen the shaming that goes on if you're not, if you're a bear versus a muscle bear versus, you know, yeah, there's a so twink versus a, yeah, it's like, can we just let each other be who we are? I mean, there's going to be people who are. And when you are... find somebody who lets you be who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when you find that person, you, you trust them and you right. give them your heart because they're so rare and special. But then to find out that the one person that you felt was that rare and special person was lying the whole time. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. I couldn't talk to people. There were months that were just a blur. I, you know, reality faded away and it really was a nightmare. And I wrote the album, you know, Dagger is my denial song. And the denial is all about, you know, the truth being in your face and you just hoping through it anyway, that it's going to work out. And so Dagger is like, I have this huge dagger in my heart. But like, I'm in love and it's going to be fine. And I'm going to find my love and I'm going to make everything okay. Just ignore the fact that I'm literally bleeding, you know, just be in denial because it will get better. And then bargaining, um, which is nightmare, is me wanting this person to be a daydream again, referring to my daydreamer on my first album back when I would believe in happy endings and fairy tales. Um, I want the daydream again, not this nightmare of a world because, you know, the bell has been lifted now. Now I see the world for what it is. 
this, you know, dark, selfish place. Um, I feel like most people are sociopathic and Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody's on a grind for their own selfish tendencies and I'm not like that. And it's just me begging for this better time where I was in the dark, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas now I see the nightmare. And then I got really angry. And so I wrote Tiny, which is the single on the album. And I have a video for it that's available on YouTube. Um, But Tiny is, it sounds like everybody takes it as I'm singing about my ex's genitalia, right? Because it's like, he's tiny, so tiny. Mm. Um, But it's actually about his heart because he left me the exact way my other exes had left me. And he said the same words. And he mm. ghosted me after me, you know, coming to him with all of my abandonment issues. And I told him, I was like, listen, if you ever decide that this isn't going to work out, I need flashing lights. I need warning signs. I need all of the signals that you were not going to be here when I wake up. And he, you know, told me that he out of nowhere, like we had the best day of my life, like the best date I've ever been on. And the next day he was just like, I just don't want to be in a relationship with you. Mm. You want too much. And I was like, but you're the one who made all these promises and it just crushed me. And then he sent me um, a message saying, hope we can be friends. Mm. And 12 years ago, I was hoping to get married to one of my other exes and he left me, we lived together and he left me while I was at work. And when I got home, there was a note on the bed that said, hope we could be friends. Mm-hmm. So when my most recent ex said the same thing, it triggered a lot of those trauma responses from that time. Um, so I got really angry and I wrote tiny. And then after anger was the depression where I couldn't get out of bed and couldn't move. And I wrote to the ghost, um, which is the, the depression song about all I want is a reply because when he goes to me, he wouldn't respond. He wouldn't explain anything. He wouldn't come clean about all the lies he told. I, uh, you know, I had to figure out the whole thing and like what happened and what really hurt the most was the fact that this person, my person Mm -hmm. wouldn't even respond to me after making me feel like they were the only person in the world that understood me. They won't talk to me. It's kind of like, what's it called when like a kidnapper kidnaps you and then uh, you're attached to the kidnapper Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that whenever somebody lies to you in these relationships, they're making you think that they're the best person in the world and they're the only person for you so they can keep getting stuff out of you. And then when they decide you're not worthy or you can't help them anymore, and they cut you off, all of those promises go away, but you're still seeing that daydream of them, not the nightmare that they actually are. So you just want that love back. And it's kind of like that Stockholm syndrome. Um, But it's always comes down to that, that desire. Unless I use the word desire, not need that desire to feel love and want to be cared for and have attention and, and all of those things, and much of this for most of us as LGBTQ people. Well, yeah, I think that we're constantly seeking some sort of home. Right. We're, we're, we're seeking that love that society shunned us from mm-hmm. our whole lives. You know, you know, society kept telling us, like, you are not worthy of love. You are not worthy to get married. You 
don't get to bring a date to prom. You right. don't get to, you know, hold hands with somebody in public. That's not allowed. You're not allowed to wear the clothes that make you feel comfortable. You're not allowed to speak in your tone of voice. You're not right. allowed to move your hand a certain way. You're not allowed to bevel when you stand. You have to stand like a man, act like a man. You're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to sing pop songs. Like, right. and I think that we're constantly just wanting to be loved for who we are. Mm-hmm. And I thought I found that. And so when that was ripped away and everything happened, I I was really alone. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of my friends were turned against me by my ex and, you know, things that happen during a breakup, like the drama ensues and people start gossiping and, you know, texts are thrown back and forth. And I really had nobody um, except for my, you know, few very close friends. And I wrote the last song on the album. I have me, which is the acceptance song, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. eventually after you're going through all of this trauma, you have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I have responsibilities in this too. I should have seen the warning signs and I have to accept the fact that I am the only person that can help myself get out of it mm-hmm. because you know, like I said before, I now see the nightmare. Everybody, you know, not that everyone is selfish or doesn't care about other people, right? but people are not going to go out of their way to make sure you are getting out of your problems. Right? They can give you advice. They can be there for you to hold your hand if they're your friend. But, you know, it's not everybody isn't living in a Disney movie like I was in my daydream era. And so I realized that I have to come up with this Disney magic myself and I have to find that love within my own heart. And that's the key piece of the puzzle though, that most people miss is it starts with from within. It's a hard lesson to learn Mm -hmm. yet when, and I, hello, I'm, I'm not preaching here because I'm perfect at this. (laughs) Uh, But you know, I've been walking around on this planet for 59 years now and I'm like, okay, I can't hold anybody else responsible for my happiness. They can sure the fuck contribute to it. But if I'm not happy about something, I get to go figure out how I want to be with that and then make the decision. Okay. You know, is this how I want to be in the world right now? And I know that sounds very simplistic the way I just said it. I am not going to tell anybody listening to this podcast. It's simple and easy. I would never do that. It does get easier. That is one thing I will say for sure is the more I learn, like, okay, I get to flip the happy button on myself if nobody else is doing it. But I also learned that I'm not going to hold other people responsible for flipping my happy button on. They can turn other flip other things on to make me happy. But in my mind, each day I get to choose how I want to do this. Again, I'm not going to say it's easy. And I don't think it's what you're saying either, JR. It's, there's nothing uh, easy yeah, about no. this. There's nothing easy about it. Um, you know, my favorite section of I Have Me is I have this poetic, um, artsy, abstract moment of the song where I describe, you know, my life as, you know, being shadows and highlights, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have the shadows of my life that contour my edges and they, you know, um, shape me as a person, all this baggage that I carry with me everywhere. But then there's also those highlights, And the highlights are the things that come from your soul. Those moments of like 
bold, daring bravery to be yourself in the face mm-hmm. of hatred and to realize how strong I've actually been my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, in all of this reflection and looking back at all of this trauma from my family and, you know, Russell and everything going on um, with the breakup, obviously, it made me reflect on all of my relationships. And the one thing I've always had is hope that I will find a better ending that I will Mm -hmm. find love one day. I've never lost that hope, you know, and there are days where I wish I could, but I think that that magic of hoping that it will get better and continuing to pursue it, to continue to strive to find love and happiness in the face of darkness and regret, you know, to keep, keep going on, to keep trudging the battle is my superpower that only I have. Like I have me, I have that power. You know, this song is about being like, I still have that hope. All of these things, all of this, like I've been walking on wind my whole life is a lyric from the song. You know, everything I've stepped on has fallen through. I've never Mm. been able to have a foundation to stand on with anything. And I keep walking on wind. Mm. You know, I will get back up no matter what. And I think that that song is really important and it talks about how my friends helped me and now I'm daydreaming again because of the love of my friends. And I think that's very true because you need your support system. But what I have made the mistake of doing in my life is wishing that my friends were my family Mm. and putting too much pressure on my friends to be there for me as a family should, because I don't have one. Right. And I, haven't been putting enough pressure on myself to show up for me. And in writing that song, I realized like, no, I need to actually be the one taking care of myself. I have me as the song, you know, well, it's not, and I have that's me what and we my have. friends. At, yeah. You know, when we really, if we want to be like, really like, I, I don't even want to call it morbid. If we want to get real with ourselves, Everything can be crumbling around us. Relationships, family, friends, homes, jobs, all that. Mm-hmm. But if you realize you have you and you have you until the moment you can't even fathom you. So the moment you like go checked out, I'm out of this planet. But it's such a beautiful thing when you, at least I feel like it's a beautiful thing when you realize you got you. I love coming home to my husband. I mean, been together almost 21 <laughs> years so i still I would love hope it. so yeah but i love it well i don't really come home because i work in this office he works at the one three steps down across the room from us but you know <laughs> it's it's one of those things that even in those moments though i know no matter what i'm glad he's here and i'm glad i i get to be with him in this way but i'm still with me too i have mm-hmm. to be with me and if I don't make room for that, and uh, and I I know for me, one of the most critical moments that that started being really important to me, because you and I, we're both big guys, right? We're both big bears. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I got really pissed off the first time somebody called me a bear. And that, <gasps> that was years ago. This was years ago when I was like, I was, I was, I'm six foot four. And at that time I weighed about 240. So I was actually a pretty trim guy. Yeah. But I had I a little chubby belly. Okay. Yeah. And I'm 240 like, is gonna... like when they start noticing that you're bigger, right? Like yeah, they're exactly. like 240, exactly. you're a bear now. Yeah. And it pissed me off. 
but I realized how little I was in tune with who I was because that was just a label. I didn't have to say I was a bear, you know? Yeah. And then as I started to realize, wait, this is a self-perception thing where I'm starting to go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, there's weird stuff I'm going through in my own head about who I am. I need to get real with myself right now and start embracing myself because otherwise I could have screwed things up. And then, you know, yeah, I've, I've gone so through some stuff where that. it just... Yeah. I, you know, got bigger and I've lost weight and got bigger and lost weight. I'm in a place now where I'm like trimming out again. And I'm like, just be positive about who you are because it doesn't matter what it is. And I know you're such a body positive guy. So what I was am, the that's thing my that, whole brand. well, I know. And so what, what got you to this space where you're like, this is me, this is who it is. Mm. Well, okay. So yeah, Body Positive is my first big hit. It's my biggest song. Um, yep. It's on all platforms. I have the video. Right. Um, and that's how most people know me. And I, not that I've always been body positive, because there are days where obviously I look at myself and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, um, I have my doubts about my body, of course. But I, I don't think that our shape is really what beauty is. I've never viewed surface beauty as beauty. It's kind of your appearance or your aesthetic. And I think to limit yourself because of your outward appearance mm -hmm. and to say, that's not for me because I don't look a certain way. Like there are people who are fat regardless of how much they work out or what they're eating, mm -hmm. you know, and there are people who are skinny regardless of how much junk food they get to eat. So yep. your body isn't really in your control. I mean, yeah, you should be healthy. I mean, I'm, I'm a healthy person. I eat, you know, protein and fiber and, you know, all my vitamins, you know, I have a sugar problem, which is why I, you know, gain so much weight, but your body is really not up to you. And if the more time that you spend hating yourself for looking like you, then that's the less time that you're going to be happy. And my main goal has always just to find happiness and acceptance. And I have always been, you know, sexually active. I started doing sexual things behind my family's back, you know, when I was little um, to fill that void that I had with my family because nobody appreciated me. So I found a way to make people appreciate me by being sexual so right. I've always viewed myself, regardless of my size, as very attractive because, you know, I made a lot of men very happy and, you know, nobody was complaining when I was naked, right. you know, uh, straight people were complaining about my body. People were calling me fat, you know, who were well, straight. And people, even people in our own community, I've seen that well, happen too. I, I, I'm not there in the story yet. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. This is back when I was little. Um, in high school, you know, like the gay people were not making fun of my body when I was naked. It was the people at school, the girls. And because I was the only gay kid in town that was out. So like nobody was like, you know, gay except for me. And so everybody to me, it was just straight people making fun of me somewhere. They just had something else to say instead of making fun of my sexuality. So I think that the shadow of being gay overtook them making fun of me for being fat and you know i've also was poor you know i didn't have the name brand clothes 
And, you know, there were lots of reasons people were making fun of me. So it never really stuck out to me that I, my body was the main thing they were making fun of. Um, That happened more when I got out of the house and I was in the gay culture. And so um, I had just went through that first breakup where I thought I was going to get married and he left the first note saying, hope we could be friends. And I um, lost 250 pounds and I got skinny for the first time. Mm. And, you know, I started dancing and making some money and people were treating me like a prince everywhere I went because I was suddenly beautiful by society standards. And I got really grossed out by it. Like when I was skinny, I was like, I am literally just a piece of meat. Nobody wants to hear my thoughts anymore. Nobody actually listens to my jokes. They're kind of just laughing because I'm pretty. And when you're stereotypically pretty by society's means instead of just bare pretty, like people really do treat you differently. And it made me so heartbroken and disgusted by people because people are just treating people like like they're a piece of steak. Like, are you a New York strip or are you a tenderloin? That's literally how they view us. And I I was so disgusted by it, especially since I was, you know, having so much sex. And I have sex with thin people, with large people, you know, um, all across, male identifying all across the spectrum. Doesn't matter ethnicity, age, body type, you know. And I didn't understand that other people had these stigmas until I lost the weight. And so I gained the weight back because I went to college and college was stressful and, you know, dorm snacks are a thing. And I gained all my weight back and suddenly I was ugly again. But now I knew that I was ugly because of how well they treated me when I was pretty. Right. And so being ugly and now aware of it, that really messed me up in the head. And I was feeling really bad about myself. I was in a production of Hair. Um, Russell was directing it. And I played Margaret Mead, who is mm. the woman. And um, you have to get naked at the end of right. Act One in Hair. And I was, you know, this big bear in college um, with all these skinny twinks doing hair. And I was so nervous to get naked. And Russell told me to go to a bear run. Um because I would find my people. And at the bear run, I attended this workshop um, that was run by Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman, who produced Body Positive. Mm. And it was called Loving Our Bare Bodies. And you go in and you strip down all of your clothes in a room full of men of all shapes and sizes, colors, ethnicities, ages, and you affirm each other's bodies. And you tell them they're beautiful and you remove your armor is what removing the clothes is. And I did this workshop and I had these men, you know, about 80 men in this room affirm my body and tell me how beautiful I am. And men cry and then realize how beautiful they are. And like these men who are like society gorgeous, right? Like Mm -hmm. the big muscly men who should be doing, you know, mainstream porn. And they're crying because they felt like they were ugly compared to me. And then I realized beauty is just a construct. Surface beauty is just a construct because what's really beautiful is your soul. And I was like, so it doesn't matter. And I'm sick of people looking at me and I want to just be myself no matter what. Like if we're going to have some sex, 
then take off your clothes. We're going to have some sex. Like, there's no mind games with me. It's not about that. Like, if I find you hot, I find you hot. And if you find me hot, you find me hot. It's not about my size. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to Freddie about this. And he was like, that is your song. That's your first song. That's what we need to do. And I sat down and I wrote Body Positive in three minutes. I wrote it in one sitting. I sat down and I just wrote the song. And um, he was like, this is a hit. We're going to make it a bop. And I I did it for myself. But I also did it because I have met so many big guys that I have had sex with that hate their bodies and are Mm -hmm. crying because I make them feel so sexy you know, um, because I, I'm very passionate or whatever, but I've had so many guys cry in my arms after yep. sex. And well, but there's so much of that hurt in our gay community to begin with. I mean, because these skinny guys are making fun of us in these clubs, well, like but we it's not even, but, but it's not just that either. I have had so many guys who are very quote, beautiful ripped men from everybody else's perspective who don't see themselves as beautiful. Yeah, because it's such a construct of this is what we define beauty is. This is what we define it is, and uh, many yeah. of those guys don't know how to love themselves either. Because, and I have currently some in my coaching practice that like they can get laid like that. You know, they I yeah. mean, a guy looks at them and goes, "Oh yeah, that's a that's a damn good looking construct of a man, right?" <laughs> yeah, and they walk away from those experiences and go, "I feel like I'm just." I'm just, that's what I'm there for. That's what I'm there for. I want something real. But then what happens is that becomes their norm. And so they don't, I mean, I have a, I've had some people in my practice who said, I don't know how to do it any other way other than I'm just there for the sex. And then they can't, they can't create a relationship because that, that little hit of the, you know, adrenaline and all, all the stuff, the serotonin, all those lovely little chemicals that like not only get our dicks hard, but get us like turned on. Oh, wait, I'm sitting having a conversation, but this isn't happening. This isn't happening. I'm not used to like, okay, well, this piece isn't going to, you know, come alive suddenly. It's such yeah. a huge thing in our community. So I'm so glad not only for what you've done with your current music, but what you've done with your past, because... I think this sends a beautiful message in so many ways on so many fronts, JR, that Thank you. just be who the fuck you are. Well, and that's it. what I try to be because like um, even with Nightmare, Nightmare is more about accepting your mental health. Right. And I feel like the Daydream album was more about accepting myself as a sexual being, as somebody who deserves to be loved, you know, um, my except the fact that my family doesn't love me, you know, Daydream confronted right. all of those things. Um but that I was beautiful and I'm allowed to feel sexy regardless of what other people think. And everyone needs to realize that beauty is subjective. Very subjective. And and the phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder um, isn't about surface beauty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder because you're only as beautiful as you project onto the world. Yep. And the more you let your insecurities eat you alive, the less positive light you're going to share. You know, everything that I always hear from people is like how much light I have, right? Like every time I go somewhere, people are like, oh my God, you have so much light, you sparkle, you glow, you know, and people are lovely. And every time I hear that, like I'm so moved, but I think that that real sparkle 
is just me allowing people to feel seen and appreciated for exactly this moment, you know, because no matter what venue I perform at, if I, you know, I'm for theater. So you perform for a crowd of one, you put on the best show of your life for that one person. Absolutely. And I don't think that most artists do that, but I'm there with these like five people at the show and I'm like making them feel seen. And that's where I think my light comes from because mm. I am appreciating the people around me, the circumstances around me, the moment I am living in the moment and saying, this is lovely because yeah. in this moment, I'm not, you know, in, well, those in this dark moment, paths. this is who you are. I mean, exactly. And, and if we could learn to live in these moments, this is who we are every step of the way. Everything would be so much better. I know. And I don't understand why people think that they have to lie or be inauthentic because I would feel so guilty if I got like all of the material things I ever wanted by lying because it wouldn't be real. It would feel like more went and Mm -hmm. I'm looking for substance. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm so glad you had the win and the substance to show up here and have a conversation with me tonight it's oh my god i loved it thank you yeah it's just it's so cool to hear somebody have that kind of light and 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 go through the you know go through the crap you've gone through but go here's how i want to you know show myself show my light be who i am in the world well there's so much darkness out there and i woke up one day and i said there's too much darkness i'm only going to be a light in this world because i don't want to continue adding more pain because Pain is always going to be there. The world needs more love. Yes. So even when I feel ugly or I feel my darkest villainous self, you know, I, I control it because I go, the world is dark enough. We have to start loving each other. We have to start loving ourselves, you know? Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad you are loving yourself and continuing to do what you do. And I so appreciate you coming and being a part of life uncloseted the podcast and um can't wait to see what else you bring to the world my friend oh my gosh thank you so much yeah everybody can check me out on all platforms on spotify itunes apple music google play whatever you listen to music on i'm on it jr price my new album is called nightmare and you can follow me on social media at jr priceless five ever that's awesome so glad you said all that and all that will also be available everyone on the show page for the show. And again, wherever you listen to my podcast, Spotify, all those different places as well. So glad to have all of you listening. And again, JR, thank you for being that big, beautiful energy that you are, man. You're amazing. Thank you. Everyone go out, have a great week, and we will catch you in just another week on Life Uncloseted, the podcast. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.